Welcome to Export Air International, a podcast specifically focused on Slovak trade matters, featuring international experts, ambassadors, and industry leaders. Presented by Zolf Hayek Khan. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Export Air International, and today will be a special feature entirely focused on the global economic impact and the wider implications of the war in Ukraine, featuring our special guest, Sonia Muzikarova, Chief Economist at Globsec. Sonia, many thanks for joining us here today, and I wish it had been in less intense circumstances. Thank you so much, Zul, for having me, and um, I, I may join you in this wish that the circumstances were a little bit more rosy than they are currently. Thanks. Well, we will, if possible, think dispassionately about the utterly horrifying proceedings occurring not 1,000 kilometers from where we are now and assess the economic impact of the war in Ukraine. With EU relief packages and global, global allied economic responses and sanctions being imposed on Russia, there will no doubt be a dramatic knock-on effect uh, that we're already starting to witness in the global economy. So let's try and make sense of things. Firstly, over the last 12 days, we've seen an unprecedented economic set of sanctions imposed on Russia. Sonia, can you please unpack them to us in terms of SWIFT, Visa, MasterCard, American Express as of yesterday? Some analysts have predicted a shrink of 15% in Russia's economy. What's your take on this? Yeah, so I think uh, generally we can say that the, the sanctions that we have seen, the economic sanctions and financial ones as well as technical ones, have been um, synchronized, have been quite rapid uh, when it comes to rolling them out by the Western allies, by many of the G7 economies. Um, also, the West have, has shown a united front um, and we have seen um, basically tranches being rolled out all throughout um, since the first, um, I, I think it was on the 24th, mm -hmm. that, the, that the armed conflict has uh, in, uh, kind of unfolded in a full force and they have been rolled out kind of continuously in, in several tranches by the Western leaders, right? Um, so I think the most um, impactful and important and unprecedented, unprecedented sanctions in, in many ways are, first of all, that seven banks were initially kicked off the SWIFT, the international mm -hmm. payment system. Um, there are calls for stepping this up and taking it even further. And the second uh, very important thing was that um, the, the foreign exchange reserves of the Central Bank of, of Russia were frozen, which should impact about 50% of, of, of their foreign exchange reserves. We know that Russia most probably has been preparing for mm -hmm. this moment. Um, we know it has been amassing foreign exchange reserves uh, since the Crimea seizing in, in 2014. Yep. We also know that there has been a de-dollarization going on, so shifting away a little bit from the dollar exactly to be able to evade Western sanctions mm -hmm. and diversifying with other Western currencies, the, the yuan, the euro, um, the, the, the British pound. Um, so we have seen what has been pretty much an immediate impact on the Russian economy, right? We, we have seen, and jump, feel free to jump in. Because no, I'm, I was just going to say that, that you say, that was going to be my next question, was that uh, has there been a tangible effect on the Russian community and its people? Um, we understand that a lot of those payment systems, even PayPal, eBay, 
all of all of these uh, international organizations have ceased their their operations in Russia, and the actual consumer is being affected. Have we seen this impacting them on their in their daily life? You, you mentioned the provisions that have been being built in place for, for eight years now, but it's affecting the people, correct? Yes, no, uh, we absolutely have seen an immediate impact um, on the Russian economy. We have seen uh, bank runs. Maybe it's worthwhile to explain a little bit um, to uh, to your viewers or, or listeners, like why central banks amass foreign exchange reserves, mm -hmm. right? So in case uh, to to be able to stabilize the, the Russian currency against um, other baskets of, of currencies, basically, and to be able to conduct FX uh, interventions to do that. And basically, that's what the West tried to do to take this uh, away from them. Now, there is there's a lot of talk about uh, what kind of loopholes the Russian Central Bank can take to counteract this and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. But I think this has been uh, pretty successful um, in the short run. But this is, I would underscore this, in the short run. Um, I think we really should um, avoid this black and white discussion where we really just focus on how we have succeeded in this in the short run. I think the discussion is more longer term, unfortunately, mm -hmm. and it's also more nuanced. Uh, you, you mentioned these loopholes. I'm interested. What kind of loopholes would they be that, to circumvent these sanctions? Yeah, so some of these things... Um, are uh, valid and others, but we don't know, we don't have enough information. So for example, to up Russians' economic ties with uh, with China mm -hmm. and basically to use the Yuan to finance the, the basically energy uh, trade going on, right? Um, because because China has has said that they're not going to be uh, providing uh, the dollar or other, other Western currencies um, to kind of counteract the Western measures, but they have not said that, you know, we, we're, we're probably going to see uh, this down the line. Um, so that's the first thing. Then the second thing we have um, heard about uh, crypto, that, mm -hmm. that has been a part of the discussion, right? Um, so potentially um, the Russians evading some of the, the Western sanctions uh, and, and kind of switching uh, towards crypto. I don't think this is necessarily um, valid because I, I just don't think that... I mean, a ruble is a is a massive world currency, and and crypto is just too small. Bitcoin, if we talk about yep. Bitcoin, right? So I, I just I think we are focusing on on the one percent, whereas we should be focusing on the, on the ninety nine here in this debate. Hundred percent. I, I will talk a little bit about the ruble, and obviously the energy will, will will expand to that in a little bit as well. So the two major Russian stock exchanges plunged more than forty three percent, and as of today, it's actually stopped trading. So the ruble has dropped to record lows. We mentioned the ruble just now. And how is this affecting the purchasing power of Russian families at a time of rising prices and deteriorating living standards? I mean, again, this goes back to the the actual tangible impact that this is having. No, no, absolutely. I, I think, um, I mean, clearly uh, the Russians are trying to, like, that's why we have seen bank runs, because they, they've been trying to withdraw um, their money and their savings in other currencies that hold their values. But whereas we see hyperinflation de, mm -hmm. de facto going on with ruble, they have also been trying to um, shift their their cash into, for example, luxury items. Sure. Uh, we've seen some, you know, headlines with, uh, I don't know, queues in front of Cartier in, in Moscow or, or something like this, just trying to really preserve the value of their money um, in any any way uh, possible, basically, at this point. 
Well, a lot of those LVMH companies are starting to cease operations. I also understood that they're investing heavily in art uh, because that tends to appreciate as well. Um, these are reactionary measures, though. Exactly, reactionary measures. But you have alluded to something that's also very important, and that is that these formal economic sanctions, the, the ones that we see being rolled out by the Western allies, but also um, we see most of them in the media and and, and their impact is, is being discussed. There's that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Then then we see the reaction of business and the mm -hmm. support of business and and this actually and not only of business, international organizations, like all across the board, right? And this actually is hundred percent agree. Right? So massive. It's so massive. If 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 all of this comes together, like I think it really multiplies the effect. So did you think I mean one of the the alarming realities is that it's taken an incur an incursion of these proportions to bring us all together. We we have we've just basically papering over the cracks of a three year pandemic. And now this has happened. But have we ever seen unification amongst the West in this capacity or in this scale in since World War II? Yeah, not not as far as I can remember. I, I think this well, is... Well, you weren't around during World War II. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. But even even like in my adult life, like I have not seen anything like this. I think that Putin's aggression really has managed to unite the West in ways we have not seen in a long time, even during the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. What about knee-jerk reactions? So we here we we deal here at the Council of Slovak Exporters. We represent the interests of Slovak exporters, uh, and and I'll come to the the investments that our exporters have in Russia and in Ukraine a little bit later. But we're hearing stories of people, um, the passport office being inundated with applications for people who want to flee Slovakia, or the fear of or liquid liquidating assets and so forth. This knee jerk reaction because we're so very close to the action is that should the people of Slovakia not panic? Is that the message? Should we be? Should we feel that our investments and our assets are safe here? Do we need that house in Spain to flee to? Um, well, um, our officials, and in general, I can get get behind this. Is that there is no, um, you know, super immediate uh, risk of war, but obviously uh, this risk is is. You know, anchored and amplified, and, and has 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 really gone up um, since since the war has broken out in such a full scale as as it has. And Ukraine uh, objectively is um, on on the Slovak border, and this geographical geographical proximity mm -hmm. has this psychological effect as Absolutely. well, right? So I think that we're we're seeing um, a lot of this, but I you know I don't think there is a um, there is one response to your questions because this really depends on what these entities are, what they do, in what industry they are, like who do they trade with. Um, like it, it just there is no one answer to this, so yeah. it, it really uh, is a case by case analysis. We we spoke a little bit before we were recording about the divisive nature of media and the polarization that that presents. And we come back a little bit to economic isolation and the complete economic annexation of Russia here is how how could we tangibly assess the impacts of and the ripple effects of these measures? Uh, and I guess the big question is, is you mentioned there that the de-dollarization de and the cash reserves, is Russia sanction proof? 
Um, okay. Well, I think the the first thing, and we have already talked about this, we have touched upon this, is that Russia has been preparing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not only the FX reserves; it's the fact that they are um, they have a very very low uh, debt to GDP ratio. I think it's like something about thirty percent, maybe a little bit less. I'm not sure. I, I um, about the 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 exact number, but if you compare these, for example, to the European sovereign debt, like it's a huge difference, sure. right? So they have a solid fiscal position. They have been um, diversifying their their trade away from the Western allies towards China and Asia. And in Asia, um, they have set up their own international payment system, which you know cannot be at the current moment perhaps uh, compared to swift but it's 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 an up and coming alternative that mm-hmm. you know could be fortified in the in the future you cannot it's a possibility right possible um, but who, who are going to want to trade with them um well i think there is a there is a number of of companies and entities already um being a part of the system yes uh that's a valid question who would want to trade with them at the current moment we'll see how the how the situation will kind of unfold in the future but this really has worked out. The economic isolation, the social isolation, the political isolation, the international isolation mm-hmm. across all of these fronts, like the sanctions have really accomplished this. Like, I don't think you can really argue with that, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I think what is at question, though, and we cannot be so sure about this part, is whether we will manage to cut off Putin's financing for the conflict and for the war. Sure. And I think this is the million-dollar question right here. And this is why why I have said, you know, um, we're, we're focusing on the short, short-term effects of the sanctions. Um, that is the, the ruble being really hurt. Mm-hmm. But that's your nominal currency. And then they have the de facto currency, which is energy. Absolutely. And again, we'll come we'll come to that. And then the EU's re- over-reliance on Russian energy. Um, but, you know, I, I know we're trying to keep this as un- or apolitical as possible, but there's obviously an emotionally driven and reactionary response to from the West uh, in imposing these uh, warp speed sanctions. In your mind, do you think we could have avoided this point? At any stage of maybe the last eight years or maybe even 20 years, there are opportunities for us not to be in this position. Yeah, I I think... Um, so, so you know how uh, Steve Jobs was, uh, he's famous for his quote of like being able to always like connecting the dots when mm-hmm. we look uh, back to the past, right? I love a Steve Jobs quote. So. Yeah, yeah. So I felt like this when this thing broke out. I felt about all of these things that has been going on. And this is not only about Russia internally preparing themselves to, to be bulletproof against the Western sections, which they're not, but, you know, they've been really trying to up the resilience. We just talked about that. Yeah. Um, it's also when you look back at um, the last 10 years and, and the consistent efforts and the hybrid wars and the efforts of Russia undermining the Western democracies, whether it's the UK and Brexit, mm-hmm. they meddled with that, right? Sure. Whether it's Trump and and, and uh, his v- victory in the election, the US and the UK, I mean, come on, they're the democracies of the world, right? And they really put some consistent efforts into undoing and untying this, right? Whether you talk about, um, well, Nord Stream 2 was a little bit also, you know, Europe's fault, if you will, but they they really have managed to sow some discord there as well. And this has, you know, uh, served as a Which has subsequently been stopped. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, but this has been also a tool for division. If you think about the, the Sputnik vaccine, I mean, there they provided a, a little bit wrong data right there. You know, they really also use this as a, as a tool of hybrid war as well. So if you just like think about all of these things, like they really put some consistent efforts. And we, I feel like Western leaders has, have really under... Um, underplayed it. Underplayed this. And these are not some sort of isolated, discrete events. I mean, it has been a... To me, this has been a... These have been events events in a sequence of a broader strategy, basically. You're right. So moving closer back here again to Slovakia, the Council of Slovak Exporters, through our info at exporteri.sk uh, email address, we have be, we've been working closely with the Ministry of Economy to help our exporters who have interests in the Ukraine and Russia. What has your take been and, and, and Globsec's stance been from what you've heard, how the, the Slovak business industry have reacted and, and what their assets are like in Ukraine and Russia? Yeah, um, so I think they, as as the rest of Europe and, and as, as, as the rest of the, the Western world, they have really shown a lot of unity. They have come in ready to help rushing um, to the border with Ukraine, setting up humanitarian uh, and financial help. I mean, the response ha has been really overwhelming and I, I mean this in the most positive uh, sense of the word so I'm, I'm just really super happy and and proud about it that we this really has united us as well because we know that politically in Slovakia it, it wasn't so long ago when this was also used as a political weapon and mm -hmm. it was really being politicized and I you know like really beyond measure and I will not allude to that more but <laughs> yeah we know what we're talking but about. Slovakia has been a good neighbor yeah, yeah, it is being a good neighbor, absolutely. Um, maybe a little bit on the interests of, of Slovak enterprise with Russia. Um, I think one of the key takeaways that this is not a good time to be entangled with Russia. Mm -hmm. I think the takeaway for, for the West is that maybe it's not a good idea to be entangled economically or to be dependent economically on an autocracy. Mm -hmm. That's like one of the key lessons we should be like taking absolutely. with us from this, right? And I think this not this doesn't go only at a macro level, it goes at a micro level as well. So these enterprises that are entangled with Russia should be looking for um, alternatives. There is opportunity here as well. For example, um, if like the EU officials are claiming that this is going to really accelerate the, the green transition to, and towards 100%. diversification of energy, towards um, renewables, so there is an opportunity for some yeah. firms, not for all firms, but this is always like this, right? So it might accelerate the carbon neutrality uh, of the European Euro European Union has been striving for. In terms of Ukraine, though, often forgotten, not in the economic discussions, because we're focusing all our attentions in, in, in human ways. And that's understandable. And obviously, they're receiving all sorts of donations from around the world uh, and help uh, with Starlink, uh, crypto, uh, I, I read yesterday people were contributing through booking Airbnb um, and the world is rallying around them. But there are Slovak business interests in, in the Ukraine as well. And we, we deal with that here as well. We see that we're trying to help people extract uh, their, their employees. Uh, we've provided assistances with consulars and embassies and so forth. But in terms of money left in Ukraine and in terms of business left in Ukraine, what are the ramifications are going to be like for Ukraine, do you think? For Ukraine and, and its economic future. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this will depend on how, like, 
on how long this will be going on, how grave it will be. Like there is just 1000 scenarios on the table right now and there is more uncertainty than anything. So mm. it's it's really... I wouldn't uh, want to be an economist right now. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I think all of our like forecasting models and <laughs> it has it has all... I mean, they're useful frameworks. It's just really how you feed these shocks into them that, that matters and, and you can really get um, some not not the best or precise outcomes. Anyhow, uh, back to Ukraine. Because um, we see here that the Slovak business to re- Ukraine is roughly around 705 uh, million USD uh, in exports and FDIs and about 1.2 billion to Russia and in imports, it's about 725 million and in uh, imp- uh, from Ukraine and 4.8 billion from Russia, respective of which that 85% as you as you know is uh, of slovak is into slovakia as gas so the fdi landscape's going to change overnight yes it will and i think i think currently um the the slovak firms that have economic ties with ukraine they're just they just have to really help and go, go out of their ways to help both in a humanitarian way and in in financial terms as much as they can afford um, and kind of wait it out and see. I don't think there is a uniform uniform recipe for that. But I think this is a chance for the future if this thing kind of um, settles in a in a foreseeable future for an increased economic cooperation between the EU neighborhood and and the CE countries. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping this will be a game changer for the migration policy in the region. I think if we can. Um, you know, be generous as a nation and accept Ukrainian uh, refugees for humanitarian reasons. I'm really hoping that we will realize that later down the road, once the humanitarian crisis is over, we can also uh, welcome economic migrants from Ukraine and not only from Ukraine, from, as I said, So this will neighbor. be a gateway, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, exactly. I'm really hoping that, that it will, and it will really catalyze a, a new chapter for our mutual cooperation and you know, I mean, there's also a lot of talk about the world is seeing the Ukrainian heroism, the leadership, the, 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 and this, this, these are emotions, but they should not be underestimated. So 100% agree. I think Ukraine will see a lot of capital and a lot of, it will perhaps maybe even become like a new tech hub in, in, in this region. Interesting that you mentioned the migration and, and as, as of today, I think the number of uh, Ukrainians entering into Slovakia has exceeded 110,000 people, and, and and across Europe now it's at two million, which is, if I'm not mistaken, um, half as many people that had migrated after the Second World War, and that's over the period of 12 days. So these are alarming figures. The landscape of Europe will change dramatically for the for the foreseeable future, and we hope here that in Slovakia that this will pave the way for a more ad- adoptive migration system based on, on different criteria. Moving to uh, the value of crude oil um, and away from, from the refugee plight, uh, which is obviously extremely concerning, the value of oil has gone up to $137 today, and that's the highest it's been since 2008. Um, but energy exceptions are being witnessed to avoid spikes in these prices. How long is this sustainable, Sonia? Yeah. So, I mean, if we go back to the sanctions, um, so these have been the economic and financial sanctions has been this, that and that entity, except for the energy. Things, we, things we need the most. Right. 
And that tells you a lot about the relative power of the EU in this whole thing, right? Sure. So, um, yeah, I think we will see some energy embargo um, down the road yeah. from the European Union. And I think this will have a massive impact, obviously, on, on well, obviously, energy prices, but also the economy of, of the European Union and Slovakia. Today, this morning, I, I read um, in the news an opinion that the current situation will not, you know, does not pose a risk of recession in Slovakia. I, I really think it depends how you model the scenario, but in case this harsh scenario would materialize, I think it really has a good chance of triggering recession um, in Slovakia just because it's so open and dependent on, on, on Western European markets and sure. it will definitely trigger a recession there. A bleak outlook, yeah, unfortunately, no. but it's a reality that we, we will have to deal with and people can see it tangibly now when they're filling up their cars, the value is, is going up. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just something. It's it's kind of a a measure of of last resort, but something that we will probably have to resort to if we really want to effectively um, decrease um, the the milit the financing of the military interventions of of of, of Russia. Basically, I, I think I read some study. I think it would probably impact about thirty uh, percent of the Russian financing of of the war. My biggest, my biggest concern in all of this, Sonia, today I read that the US were or had already started to reach out to Saudi Arabia and to Venezuela to 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 start uh, alternating their their oil uh, dependency elsewhere, uh, and even they were toying with the idea of re revitalizing that uh, pipeline with Canada, uh, which Joe Biden had uh, put paid to not long ago. I think we're going backwards. We we mentioned this idea of carbon neutrality and pushing towards renewable energies. This is a guilt-edged opportunity for the world to to really fast forward and think we need to stop our dependency on fossil fuels. Will this happen sooner? Well, obviously, I mean, if you want to um, like have electricity and tap energy like you you just cannot make this transition like overnight right so yeah i'm definitely not a scientist so i i, no, I defer to the experts well, well neither neither, these provisions neither need am to i happen. they they need to happen in an accelerated fashion now the question is like is how... the infrastructure here in slovakia for example to make sure that these provisions happen well, um, the the infrastructure in Slovakia and generally in these countries is really designed to be taking in um, basically energy from the east and deliver it to Western markets. Mm -hmm. There have been some um, investments upped on on the reverse uh, flows uh, of gas in the in the recent years. Um, so there is some of it, but I'm. I don't feel comfortable uh, enough to to basically evaluate um, like how good it is, but I I I, I think okay. we can definitely tap alternative. Um, let me sources. let me ask another question yeah. then, and obviously this is uh, every crisis presents a problem, uh, presents uh, opportunities. We mentioned that one of them being uh, the opportunity to to shift again to carbon neutrality fast track our renewables, but also what kind of other opportunities does it present specifically for Slovakia and the V4 countries, given the spotlight that they're receiving currently? In terms of opportunities, in terms of what? Economic opportunities? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, well, first of all, I asked economic opportunities, but, but what occurred to me first is that this is a political opportunity to um, fix our image in Europe. Mm -hmm. 
that would be the first one because I, I think I, I believe it's very damaged by by many of the recent. Um, However, I'm rec- I'm reading recent uh, uh, pieces around global media, and uh, the, the feedback's positive about Slovakia. Yeah, well, but you could say finally. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to comment <laughs> on that, but yes. Yeah, but no, I mean, like to me, maybe it's just my kind of uh, selective perception. Uh, but but to me, like a lot of the news um, about this region, whether it comes to the rule of law provision against the backdrop of the recovery facility in Europe, whether it comes to um, not like having a zero tolerance policy for migrants, whether it comes to uh, like this selective using uh, of Sputnik, whether it comes to like, I just can think of so many examples that have really contributed to a not very nice image of this region so maybe we see in this Brussels. As, maybe we see an opportunity for a rebrand or a 2.0 and this opportunity I'm hoping, yes and this opportunity I'm, I'm, and I'm sorry to say this every crisis does provide opportunities yeah, and it does and from what I understand that the international media are rallying around Slovakia because of its warm approach to refugees now that can be translated into economic game as cynic gain as cynically as we look at it so do you see their opportunities for Slovakia to become an a more investment-friendly landscape, uh, a more amenable uh, person in Brussels, a stronger voice in Brussels as a result. All of the above. I yeah, I absolutely think so. And so so that and uh, on top of that, I think this is a chance not only for Slovakia but but for for Europe in general to really fast track the the energy diversification and uh, the green transition as a result of that. Um, something that. Somehow we have we have not felt the urgency to do, and we have not been somehow sufficiently compelled to do um, in the recent decades. So this is definitely um, a chance to do that, and also uh, perhaps in the face of the fact that we are so also manufacturing intensive uh, and thus um, uh, gas reliant, right? Reliant on the fossil fuels that that help fund all of this. Uh, manufacturing and automotive industry, which is the backbone of Slovak economy, uh, as you know better than I. I want to talk, this probably the, the last of our of my questions, talk about the, the Globsec stand on things. I, I, I've seen visibly on social media and your involvement in, uh, in so many different articles and podcasts, you're probably tired of speaking about these things, but you've taken a very strong stance there and, and you're doing your level best at Globsec to rally, rally the community. Um, what is the feeling over there and, and, and what will you be doing in the upcoming weeks to, to be able to, to shed more light on the situation? Yeah, um, I mean, we what we have upcoming actually this week even is the Central European Forum uh, in Chateau Bella, where we will uh, speak with uh, uh, various ministers from the region, with think tank leaders, with the members of the Slovak government, um, with with the general uh, community, international uh, and foreign affairs and security community. Um, we will be discussing the the Ukrainian war and uh, what are the scenarios for the future, uh, how the region exactly as we, as, as we have discussed just now, how the region can can help but also benefit uh, down the line, um, how this is a game changer. Um, we really are convinced at Globsec that um, two weeks ago a new geopolitical era has started. Um, yeah, and there is kind of not, no, not going back from there, actually. Some Rubicon has been crossed and mm-hmm. um, 
we're seeing brute force uh, being used again. And there is just so much at stake, so much at stake. Whether so, so never, ha never since your inception has Globsec been more important? Yes, that's the case, actually, yeah. A, a relevance that I hope rallies the community uh, and all the actors and agents around in Central Europe to come with a commonality that can help our neighbours in Ukraine. Um, is there anything else you would like to add in terms of anything else that we haven't touched on this in terms of the broader economic impact uh, of the ongoing incursion in Ukraine? Uh, so there is just so much. Uh, <laughs> no, no, seriously, there is just so much. I mean, um, whether it comes to the short run effects of this on, on, on Europe and the European economy, there is so many uh, stylized scenario that you can make off of it. But I think, um, yeah, it, it's really hard to con conceptualize or, or to kind of foresee what's going to happen just because, I mean, no one three weeks ago, no one, you know, has foreseen that it would unfold the way it has. And so it's really hard, even in the current moment, to kind of foresee what's going to happen. So I think we need to be prepared for all the scenarios, actually. Um, Contingency will be the model. It will be the model, and, and um, we should not um, underestimate, um, you know, the further Russian steps. We should not be complacent. I think what has taken place is the right way to go. I think uh, there is a need for more economic sanctions. Mm -hmm. I think there is a need what to... What could those look like? So, as we have kind of touched upon this uh, energy embargo, right? So, I think it, at the end of the day, it will boil down to that, because that's that that's how they finance the war mm -hmm. rations right so we need to we need to do this to cut off their them being able to finance the war so so i think um definitely that's on the table and then everything um in that realm having to do with that so cutting of more banks of the swift mm -hmm. um and and all of that right Thank you, Sonia. I think we've uh, covered as much as we could given the time and we're all aware of the situation and it will evolve and develop even further. And if there's nothing else that you would like to add, which we've already established, I would again like to thank uh, Sonia Muzikarova, lead economist uh, at Globsec, for taking the time out to join us here on Export Air International. Thank you, Sonia, very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Export Air International is brought to you exclusively by the Council of Slovak Exporters.